listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Is this the most iconic, revolutionary camera in the history of photography? Decades of knowledge, hundreds of millions of dollars in research and development, and dozens and dozens of patents led Edward Land to realise his lifelong goal, one-step photography. This camera used cutting-edge technology, a design never seen before, and even a brand new type of film the design of which has become even more iconic than the camera. In this episode, I review a rolled gold classic, the Polaroid SX70. I'm Matt Murray, and this is Matt Loves Cameras. Film cameras, instant cameras, and everything analog photography related. friends how are you all wherever you are all around the world welcome to another episode of matt loves cameras it's uh, almost winter here in australia it's in we're in may uh, so it's actually technically it's autumn uh, but it does feel a little bit chilly we've actually had the ducted uh, heating on we have like a heating cooling system in our house and we haven't really used it since summer finished it um, you know i don't know march april uh, but we've cranked it up the last few days because it has been a little bit chilly in the mornings and in the evenings and uh, because it's winter of course most of the family are not very well uh, so i've got a bit of a nasally kind of voice going on today i've got the sniffles and uh, you may hear throughout the podcast uh, either my wife or my daughter coughing in the background um, my daughter went to school camp last week and uh, she come back uh, with some kind of virus and she's got some horrible cough uh, but hopefully uh, she'll be on the mend soon just a quick recap. I'm Matt Murray. I'm a photographer and camera enthusiast from sunny Brisbane in Australia. This podcast is all about analog photography. In many episodes of this podcast, I will review a different film or instant camera, telling you about its history, its features, what it's like to use, and what kind of photos you can expect from it. Today's episode, episode 12 of Matt Loves Cameras, is all about the Polaroid SX70. You can see the show notes for every episode on my website, mattlovescameras.com, along with the show's Instagram, at mattlovescameras. So let's kick off the show with a little bit of a historical overview about Polaroid and the development of the SX70. So the story of the SX-70 cannot be told without making mention of the visionary inventor, scientist and founder of Polaroid, Dr. Edward Land. Edward Herbert Land was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut in 1909. His parents were of East European Jewish descent and they owned a scrap metal yard. In 1926, a 17-year-old Land dropped out of Harvard University and moved to New York City to perform scientific experiments with polarizing light filters. As he didn't have the financial means to fund his own laboratory, and he was not affiliated with the university at the time, he often used to sneak into Columbia University late at night to use their facilities. He also did a lot of research in New York public libraries. In 1929, he made his first patent application for polarizers that reduced headlight glare. In 1932, he formed Land Wheelwright Laboratories with his former physics professor from Harvard, George Wheelwright, who bankrolled the business. Throughout the 1930s, he continued his research into the possible application of polarizers in sunglasses, filters and car headlights. Success was further funded by Wall Street investors. On the 13th of September 1937, the Polaroid Corporation was formed. During World War II, Polaroid produced glasses, ski goggles, 3D glasses and dark adapter goggles for the US Army and the US Navy. Now, speaking of 3D glasses, in 1939, the Chrysler Corporation showed the first 3D movie ever in the United States made possible by Polaroid 3D glasses. 
but it was really during the war years, those wartime contracts that kept them afloat during that time. Land had an ongoing relationship with the US government and the US military in the decades to come. During a land family vacation to Santa Fe in 1943, a question from a little girl changed photography forever. So I'm going to quote to you Edward Land's own words from an interview that he did with Life magazine in 1972. Now, this is the classic October 1972 edition of Life magazine with Land on the front cover. He had his SX-70 uh, right in front of him and he was taking photos of a group of small children who were eagerly sort of uh, plucking the, the photos from the camera. And the headline of this magazine is quite apt. It's a genius and his magic camera. So here's how the idea of instant photography came to Edward Land in his own words. One day when we were vacationing in Santa Fe in 1943, my daughter Jennifer, who was then three, asked me why she could not see the picture I had just taken of her. As I walked around that charming town, I undertook the task of solving the puzzle she had set for me. Within the hour, the camera, the film and the physical chemistry became so clear that with a great sense of excitement, I hurried to a place where a friend was staying to describe to him in detail a dry camera which would give a picture immediately after exposure. In my mind, it was so real that I spent several hours on this description. Four years later, we demonstrated the working system to the Optical Society of America. And in the magazine, there's a lovely pull quote. Um, a pull quote is like a big, you know, quote uh, um, that you see in magazines in, in much bigger text. And it kind of accurately sums up uh, the, the kind of mind that Edward Land had. It says, if you are able to state a problem, it can be solved. Five years later, in 1948, the first instant camera, the Model 95, was launched the day after Thanksgiving at the Jordan Marsh department store in Boston. Polaroid thought that the initial production run of 57 cameras would tide them over until they could produce a second batch, but all cameras and all the film were snapped up instantly, if you'll pardon the pun, taking Polaroid by surprise. This camera was the model from which all Polaroid cameras for the next 15 years were based. Now, it's important to note that this was an instant roll film camera. So this is not the peel apart film or is it the, uh, the integral film? But this is instant roll film, most of which was uh, discontinued in the 1970s. So initially, the film produced only sepia prints. But a few years later, after launch, true black and white film was to come. By 1956, the one millionth instant camera had rolled off the production line and Polaroids were being sold in 45 countries. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Nineteen sixty three was a big year for the company with the introduction of a new line of cameras that started with the Model one hundred land camera. Yes, this is the line of folding land cameras that I'm sure many of you know that takes peel apart film. It was the first camera ever to employ a transistorized electronic shutter for completely automatic exposure control. And this camera took a brand new type of film. Yes, it was the instant pack film. And this film came in colour. The new pack film contained both a negative and a positive sheet, And this was developed, of course, outside of the camera. This is the pack film that Polaroid produced under their own name for many, many years, decades, with compatible film coming in later years from Fujifilm under the names, you know, Fujifilm, FP100C, FP3000B, etc. It's important to note that although Edward Land was very knowledgeable and very hands-on, Polaroid was not a one-man show. Technologist Howard Rogers was largely responsible for the invention of the dye developer molecule on which instant colour film was based. The introduction of this colour film caused a six-fold increase in sales over the following decade. However, this new peel-apart film did present a number of challenges. First of all, it can be tricky to master – 
and the instructions in the camera guides, camera manuals uh, that came along with these new cameras was quite long and uh, there was a lot of different steps and you had to follow them exactly. Otherwise, you could be in for a whole lot of picture trouble I remember the first pack uh, of FP100C I ever used. I don't think I read the instructions properly. And uh, I think I read the instructions, actually. I think I just didn't realize what to do properly. And I pulled the tabs uh, so hard that uh, five or six images came out in one go. And I was pretty annoyed with myself because that was like, you know, 20 bucks or so worth of film. Um, so you uh, you have to make sure you pull it with exactly the right pressure as you pull the images out of the pack film cameras. And you've also got to get the timing right uh, in terms of how long you wait before you peel apart the film. The other couple of challenges were that, of course, there was some uh, chemical goo that occasionally you could get over your hands. And a couple of times I've had that on my hands uh, from the instant pack film. And this is probably where the whole idea about shaking a Polaroid came from, as there could be traces of this gooey chemical on your prints uh, as you sort of unpeeled it. Uh, of course, with Polaroid's uh, integral film, you do not shake the images. Oh, my gosh. Our cast have a lot to answer for. You do not shake Polaroid integral image, and you do not shake any Instax either. The last issue I'll mention with PacFilm was of great concern to Polaroid. They were very concerned about the amount of waste that this peel apart PacFilm uh, produced. So of course you'd have uh, you'd have the print, your positive. You'd also have a negative, which many people just threw away. And so in later years, Polaroid were actually encouraging people to put all the waste in the uh, the film packets, you know, the cardboard sort of packet, I guess you could say, uh, and really uh, make sure they didn't just throw it on the ground as they were exploring the great outdoors in the United States. So although it was progress, this new line of cameras wasn't enough for land. In the mid-1960s, a secret project was begun on the ninth floor at 565 Tech Square in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Lamb was still working towards his goal of absolute one-step photography, which he saw as the ideal way to remove the barriers between the photographer and their subject. The vast majority of Polaroid employees knew nothing about this project, and even those who knew about it, they didn't know the full story. So here's an illustration of how segmented the knowledge about this new program was. So here's a description from former Polaroid executive Peter C. Wensberg, described in his book Lands Polaroid. The camera was to include revolutionary optics and a complete set of photonic controls, some of which had not yet been invented. Three Polaroid factories were being built simultaneously, a negative plant in New Bedford, a film plant in Waltham, and the new camera assembly plant in Norwood. Each required process machinery that was yet to be conceived, built and installed by Polaroid engineers. Many of the most important manufacturing issues had not been solved, since the specifications of the camera and film were still changing. The SX-70 program was so complex and so extended the boundaries of half a dozen technologies that those who worked on it had difficulty in stretching their faith and their optimism beyond the piece of the whole on which their own energies were concentrated. Land was virtually the only person in the company who knew in details all the difficulties that had to be surmounted. The rest of us could only guess. Companies that were supplying manufacturing parts for the camera were also kept in the dark. So one of those companies were Texas Instruments. Uh, They provided circuitry for the exposure system. They didn't know much about it at all. They didn't even know that this new camera was an SLR. Of course, we know the camera now as the SX-70, but for much of its life, the project was actually known as Aladdin. Aladdin is, of course, a a folk tale of a a young lad who um, rubs the magic lamp and the genie appears, much in the same way, I guess, uh, with an SX-70, you press a button and magically a finished photo would appear in front of you. And even as late as April 1972, the camera didn't officially have a name. Contenders included the American and also the word nunc, which was Latin for now. It was still unnamed when Time did a cover story on the camera in June 1972. 
In the end, the new camera went by the name SX-70, which was the name that Land gave his first instant film camera project in the late 1940s. Land was a very hands-on CEO. He was a scientist. He's a very curious man, and he liked to do an experiment every day. And some of these experiments had special names. Um, so one of them was called, the instant camera one, was called SX-70, Special Experiment 70, and that's where the name come from. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Yay! The SX-70 was demonstrated for the first time on the 25th of April 1972 in Boston. Edward Land strode on stage before thousands of shareholders, Polaroid employees, analysts and reporters. He lit his pipe and then he began the presentation by saying, Photography will never be the same after today. He then pulled out an SX-70 out of his jacket pocket Rumour is that he had a custom jacket built uh, with a pocket big enough for the camera and he proceeded to snap five photos in 10 seconds, something that had been impossible with previous instant cameras. He described the colour of the images as astonishing, having qualities for which we have no names. After the presentations, all of the people at the uh, shareholders meeting were allowed to go to picture taking stations, each with its own theme, such as a birthday party or a poker game. And photos were taken at all these different little exhibits where they could have a look at the Polaroids themselves. Now, if the style of this presentation sounds familiar, I really urge you to have a read of this article I've referred to already uh, in technologizer.com, Polaroids SX-70, The Art and Science of the Nearly Impossible by Harry McCracken. So Harry uh, makes a number of um, parallels between Edward Land and Steve Jobs throughout the article, and a number of parallels also between Polaroid and Apple. And you really have to read the whole article to sort of get the whole gist of what he's saying. But there are so many parallels uh, between the companies and between the men in terms of a lot of things, the the simplicity of design, uh, the uh, beautiful product packaging, uh, thinking up products that people, uh, there was no market research for a lot of these products, but the the founder of the company thought the product up and they made it and people loved it. So there are a lot of parallels one of which was the uh, the style of the presentation to shareholders. Of course, Steve Jobs is very famous for his presentations, and uh, McCracken suggests that this was pretty much based on Edward Land. So they used the same template. They had a dramatic unveiling of a product, they had a feature walkthrough, followed by lavish praise, and then individual demonstrations. So, you know, if you're looking at some old uh, footage of Steve Jobs unveiling all the the great Apple products of the last, you know, couple of decades, um, this is what exactly what Edward Land did back in the day in the 70s. Uh, he would he would do this kind of amazing product demonstration. Now, another example of Land's vision and how he was supremely confident that he could pull off this project was told by a guy called Ilko Wolf, who was an international communications manager at Polaroid at the time of the SX-70 launch. So he was summoned to Land's office before this shareholders meeting and on the table there was a prototype SX-70 camera and there was a vase of tulips or a vase of tulips, I guess, if you're in the United States. And in this uh, vase, vase, there were a beautiful variety of tulips called Keys Nellis. They're red on the outside and yellow on the inside. Edward Land told Wolf he needed to order 10,000 of these tulips for the upcoming shareholders meeting. Now, Wolf recalls that this was shortly before Easter and there were no tulips to be had anywhere in the United States. He did manage to track down a grower in the Netherlands with one field of these very special type of tulips left 
is still unsolved. So they bought these tulips and KLM Airlines, the Royal Dutch Airlines, flew 10,000 of these tulips to Boston in the United States for the shareholders meeting. So, you know, that could be the uh, tabletop bouquet on the tables uh, for this big shareholders meeting. And why did they do this? Well, the film had not been perfected yet. But the two colours that really show the SX-70 film to its best advantage were red and yellow. So what was so revolutionary about the SX-70? Well, I've listed three reasons here. The first was the electronics. They were cutting edge for the time. To quote the Smithsonian Magazine, the SX-70 was a miracle of physics, optics and electronics, containing 200 transistors and a complex system of moving mirrors, light sensors, gears and solenoids. Secondly, the design. This was a beautifully designed camera. It featured the use of leather, something which was not usually seen in consumer electronics, and it also had this beautiful chrome in the original Model 1 version of the SX-70. It was actually chrome-plated plastic, but the, the chrome did give it a very luxurious kind of feel. And you probably wouldn't actually know there was plastic inside it. Functionally, of course, it was a foldable SLR camera. Quite an ingenious design. Now, if you would like more information on how this camera works, I'm not going to try and uh, explain it to you guys, um, other than it contains mirrors and it's an SLR. But there's a beautiful video. I think it's like 10 or 12 minutes long. Uh, It's on YouTube and it was made by Polaroid back in the day. And I'll put that on the show notes as well at uh, mattlovescameras.com. The third thing that was so revolutionary about this camera was the film. So the batteries, uh, let's talk about the batteries. There was no batteries in the camera itself. The batteries were in the film pack, something never seen before. This meant that you didn't need to carry extra batteries or worry about your batteries running out in your camera. All you needed was a couple of spare film packs and you'd always have batteries to power the camera. So that was just an incredibly ingenious kind of thing. Another thing that was so ingenious about this new integral film was that there was no waste. Everything needed to develop, stop and fix the print was contained in the print itself. There were chemical pods at the bottom of each print and as the uh, the film came out the rollers, they spread across the print and the photo developed instantly in front of you. So there was no waste, something that Polaroid was greatly concerned about with the pack film. Now, of course, on the uh, front of the image, uh, at the bottom, there's obviously a border. That's where those chemical pods are on the back of it. And uh, this was actually used quite a lot for people. They used to like to, people used to like to write descriptions or notes. And so this little border was actually very functional as well. Now, as I said in the intro to the show, the shape of the film, the Polaroid film, is iconic in itself. It is shorthand for a photograph. If you ever see um, people using trying to trying to convey uh, a photograph in an image or a poster or some kind of art, quite often it is the image of a Polaroid, the Polaroid frame, a very very classic design, a very well known design, and, and so the shape of Polaroid film itself is iconic. out the show notes at mattlovescameras.com if you're on instagram come say hi at mattlovescameras or if you fancy getting in touch drop us a line at mattlovescameras at gmail.com So despite the fact the SX-70 was a technological marvel, it did have some issues when it was released. The, The first was as follows. So Edward Land did not want anything between the photographer and their subject. So when you look through the viewfinder of the SX-70, yeah, beautiful bright viewfinder, and you use, use the wheel, the focusing wheel, and the image, or your subject rather, came in and out of focus. But people said that this was quite hard to use. Uh, so Polaroid reluctantly added a split image rangefinder prism in the viewfinder later on. And the model I have actually has that split image rangefinder. So you're looking through the viewfinder and you turn the wheel and there's a circle and the two halves 
of that circle in the middle line up when your image, uh, when your subject rather, is in focus. So originally that was not in the the camera, but they added that. The other thing, of course, was there were issues with the film. The Polaroid were quick to develop new and better emulsions. As the 1970s progressed, Polaroid started producing a cheaper line of SX70 cameras. These were the rigid body plastic SX70 cameras, such as the classic rainbow stripe SX70 camera. By the early 1980s, Polaroid had developed a new type of instant film, 600 series film, which was actually ISO 640 film. And they started bringing out new 600 series cameras. It could be argued, of course, that the apex of this SX-70 folding line of cameras came in 1982 with the release of the Polaroid SLR 680, which, of course, you can hear about in uh, an earlier episode of Matt Loves Cameras. So just a few specs. The SX-70 has a four-element 116mm f8 glass lens. You can actually get some really beautiful depth of fields with the images from the camera. One I took in the back garden of some flowers. You know, it really doesn't look like f8, and I don't know all the, the ins and outs of how the aperture of the lens relates to depth of field for different formats. Uh, I'm not that technical a photographer, but certainly looking at some of the photos I took, it doesn't not look like a look F8 kind of everything in focus kind of image. It looks very shallow depth of field. The camera has an automatic exposure system. So the camera makes all decisions about the aperture and the shutter speed automatically. Shutter speeds range from 1 175th of a second to more than 10 seconds. The minimum focus is 26 centimeters or 10 inches. And you can also use a flash. There's a flash socket on top of the camera as well. And the old school flash bar had uh, 10 single use flashes in it. So the camera I've got here is um, a Model 1 SX70. And I've also got somewhere here in my home office, I've also got a, uh, a Model 2, which is a very beautiful camera as well. Uh, it's more of a dark black, uh, dark brown plastic and a darker leather, but it's a really beautiful camera as well. And, you know, I, I don't think I can really tell images from one camera to the next. Uh, but of course, the original one with that beautiful um, signature leather is, is definitely more iconic. As the SX-70 line sort of got more advanced, they took on the sonar focusing. So there are some SX-70 models out there with the sonar autofocusing, which are pretty cool. Um, but the one I don't recommend is the SX-70 Model 3. That's not actually an SLR. It's a viewfinder kind of a camera. Uh, it's got the viewfinder cut into the mirror hood. So it's fundamentally different to the rest of them, the Model 3. So stick to a Model 1, a Model 2, or try and get one of those Sonar SX-70s. I've got my beautiful SX-70 here. Uh, I actually got in a separate uh, lot. I actually got a beautiful leather Polaroid case for it as well. So I've got it in my hand here. Uh, it's, you know, it's quite weighty. I mean, if you had it in your jacket pocket, you'd certainly know about it. So it weighs 725 grams, which is about uh, 25 ounces. Uh, I'm just going to measure it here. It is... Uh, 18 centimeters long, which is about seven inches. And across it is uh, about 10 and a half centimeters, which is just over four inches. And it's only what's, um, including the top bit of it, it's about four centimeters high which is about uh, just under two inches. So, you know, it's quite compact. It's pretty compact, but it is quite weighty as well. Um, but it is, a, it is a beautifully designed thing. So to open the camera, you put the camera in the palm of one hand, and on the other hand, there's a cap sort of on the, the top of the camera, and you lift it up, and it opens up beautifully. So looking at my SX-70 here, um, this is one of the Model 1 cameras. Uh, it's not one of the Alpha ones or anything like that. And you can usually tell that by the distance markers around the lens and also that split screen focusing image as you look through the camera. Uh, but mine is in really good condition uh, cosmetically. Uh, looking at the camera, the viewfinder is so beautiful and bright. 
and use a little focusing wheel on the right hand side of the camera just above the shutter button and you just turn that wheel and things come in and out of focus which is uh, pretty cool it is a very simple camera to use. So, you know, once you are looking through the viewfinder and you to move that focusing wheel back and forth and, and get everything in focus or get your subject in focus rather, you then press the beautiful red shutter button and out ejects an image. Uh, what else is there to tell you? There is a, a light and darken wheel on the, uh, the front of the camera, which is pretty cool. Uh, and obviously if you take an image and, uh, you know, it's, it's too dark. I mean, usually I guess you'd set it in the middle there somewhere and depending on what the print is like, you can then sort of adjust that exposure, uh, and move it back and forth until you're happy with it. Um, what else? So there's the film eject door that opens up, uh, sort of the front bit falls down where you can put the film in and out of the camera. And I've got a, an old cartridge here, which I'll put in. It sounds a little bit um, sick. I think the batteries are wearing out of this cartridge. Oh, no, it sounds pretty good, actually. So the shutter speeds there are quite long because uh, it's at night here and uh, it's pretty pretty dark in the office here. Uh, but that's the beautiful sound of the SX-70. Uh, looking all over the camera... Some later models had a tripod socket underneath the camera, uh, but mine doesn't. At the back of the camera, there is a picture counter. So, of course, the original Polaroid film cartridges had 10 images, so the cameras count down from 10. Of course, if you're using uh, the Polaroid Originals film, they only have 18, so your, your number counter there will be wrong. That's pretty much all there is to, to say, really, about the SX-70. It's a beautiful, beautiful-looking thing. I'm sort of marvelling at it as uh, I'm talking to you about it. Oh, the only other thing to tell you is um, on the right-hand side, there is a, a little socket where you can put a remote release. So this kind of segues into the next thing I can tell you about. Uh, I recently bought an SX-70 accessories kit. So you can still get those on eBay. And there's a few things you can add to your SX-70 uh, to sort of, uh, yeah, get a bit more functionality out of it. So the first two are a tripod holder. So this is kind of a, a little piece of plastic or a big piece of plastic that sort of snaps under the camera uh, to make up for the fact it hasn't got a tripod screw mount. And so you sort of snap that to the bottom of the camera and then you can mount it on a tripod. To go with that, there's a shutter release button and, uh, you know, once your camera is mounted, you can use that to do long exposures. There is a, a lens shade. If you're taking uh, images with the SX-70 in bright sunlight, the, the lens shade obviously um, shields the lens when you're taking the photo. And there's also a close-up lens and diffuser. So this close-up lens lets you make close-ups as close as five inches your objects are reproduced actual size. And the last thing in the, the SX-70 accessories kit is the accessory holder, which fits directly into the front of the camera to hold the lens shade or the close-up lens. So it is actually a really beautiful piece of design, this um, accessories kit. Mine's a little bit faded, the box, but it's otherwise it's in, in really beautiful condition. So I just realized I forgot to tell you where I got my cameras from. So the the Model 2 one that I mentioned, I got off eBay and it came with a beautiful uh, leather Polaroid case. And the uh, Model 1 camera I got, which is the classic uh, leather and chrome one, uh, I actually got off Facebook Marketplace. Uh, we'd actually just come back from Yamba uh, on holidays. And uh, this is about 18 months ago. And Yamba's in New South Wales. It's a beautiful seaside town, about four hours from where we live. So I'd just driven back from Yamba, four hours. It was a really, really hot day. And I sat down, um, I think I was sitting down watching the cricket for five minutes after we got back and unpacked. And I looked on Facebook Marketplace and there was this beautiful SX-70 camera on the north side of Brisbane. Uh, it was only $60, which is about 40 US. And so I said to my wife, right, I'm going out. And she said, where are you going? We just got home. And I said, I've got to go buy an SX-70. So I went over the north side of Brisbane 
there was a dentist, an old dentist guy, and he was um, leaving his house and he had uh, he had the SX-70 and he also had like this old dental close-up camera with, with dental attachments, um, but that wasn't really of much interest to me. I think the dental camera was like $120 and the SX-70 was 60 so I just bought the SX-70. Uh, it's in beautiful, well, it was in beautiful condition, uh, but just because it was in beautiful condition didn't necessarily meant it worked. In fact, I put a fresh pack of SX-70 through it and guess what? All the film was like blue-green. It was something seriously wrong with it. So I actually sent it down to the Instant Camera Guy in Melbourne. It's a guy called Jake. You can find him on Facebook, The Instant Camera Guy. And um, yeah, Jake um, fixed the camera. Um, so that's fantastic. Um, so I was really impressed with that. Uh, I have this beautiful camera that now works beautifully. So if you do have a Polaroid that needs fixing in Australia, New Zealand or beyond, um, hit up the Instant Camera Guy, Jake, on Facebook and uh, tell him that Matt from Matt Loves Cameras uh, sent you. <laughs> Right, so let's talk about the images that I took with the SX-70. I love, 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 love these images. Now, if you've listened to previous shows, you'll know that I often um, I often talk about how I love my own photos, but it's, it's really about picking out the ones uh, that I do really enjoy and I want to show you guys. There's plenty of other photos I take which are rubbish that never see the light of day. So most of the photos that I feature on the podcast are ones that I, I really want to show you for either because I love the photo or because um, there's some other ones in the this SX-70 batch I want to tell you about as well because of the issues with the film. So we're going to get cracking. What's first? So the first one is an image I took early morning in southern Queensland on that road trip to the Sunflowers in January. Yes, that is the road trip that keeps on giving. I'm still talking about images from that road trip now and we're in May. Uh, so this is called Southern Queensland Sunrise, I've called this. And it was just a beautiful scene at the side of the road. Um, as I set off to go to the sunflower fields around 5am. I really love the colours in this image, the beautiful sky, the pinks, the blues. Uh, I think the image looks great. The next one down was shot on a very hot summer's day. Uh, my daughter, we were actually in next door's pool. They went away and they said, um, feel free to use our pool. So we were next door and my daughter was in the pool and I took this photo of her and she's wearing like a pinky kind of swimsuit and she's diving down to the bottom of the pool and I, again I think the colors in this image look fantastic the next one I've kind of got them out of sequence sorry guys but the next one is we're back at the sunflower fields so this is very early in the morning in Queensland in summer and there's one beautiful sunflower sticking its head out above the field and it looks like it looks pretty sharp for a Polaroid. Um, and I think it's a beautiful image as well. You will notice just to the just on the sunflower and just to the right, you'll see some of those blue kind of streaks. That is opacification failure. Uh, so I did not have a frog tongue. A uh, frog tongue is like a shield that uh, shields uh, the Polaroid print as it comes out of the camera. I didn't have a frog tongue on the camera. And so occasionally you will get these blue opacification streaks. Some people who's, who use the frog tongue say they get them anyway if they use the frog tongue. So it's just, uh, I think it's a reflection of the fact that, look, the, the emulsions that we have now, I think we're very lucky to still be able to shoot Polaroids, but the emulsions we have now are not as good as they were when the original Polaroid company was in business up until 2008. The next image is a little farm scene I took a bit later in the morning, maybe maybe it was 8 o'clock-ish. Um, I was rolling down the road and I saw these beautiful kind of uh, silos uh, and I thought, yeah, it looks really lovely. It was a beautiful light at the time. Again, you can see more of that opacification failure, those little blue streaks. But you know what? I don't think it... Uh, I think it looks fine. I mean, is it technically perfect? No, but I, I really like that image as well. 
So this next image I spoke about earlier. So this was the first image I took with the camera after I got it back uh, from Jake, the instant camera guy. And uh, I put a fresh pack of SX-70 in, took it out into the back garden and thought, right, let's see if this camera works. Because he said he fixed it and indeed he did. So I took a photo of some beautiful flowers there in my back garden. Now, of course, the camera is has an F8 glass lens. Now you're looking at that photo there, the camera, uh, the camera, the the flower in the middle, the pink flower looks in pretty good focus. Everything around it is really this beautiful soft focus. So again, I'm not going to try and understand or explain uh, aperture, depth of fields on different cameras, different film formats. That kind of is beyond me. But um, you know, if you if you had an F8, um, you know, point and shoot, you you know, you would have got a vastly different photo from this photo here. It would have been almost all in focus kind of thing. Uh, but this one here, it's a it's a beautiful soft focus image of these flowers, and this is why I love shooting with Polaroid cameras. The next one, we're back in the sunflower fields and you will see another issue with the film. So the left third of the image is like a stripe down it. Uh, so basically, you will get this occasionally uh, with Polaroid images. I think there was two in the pack that did this, and it's just a, um, a failure of the chemical pods, I believe it is. Um, there's some issue with them. Uh, it, again, it's down to these emulsions not being anywhere near as good as the old original Polaroids um, before 2008. Polaroid Originals, of course, are the company now that produced this film, not the same company as Polaroid. I think they've done a fantastic job to be able to to release film and get it out there for us to use. But yeah, it's not the same as the old film. Now, the next few images I took in about 15 minutes as I was running around uh, Sydney Harbour. Uh, I was down in Sydney for the day. I went down to the to Circular Quay for my lunch and I went for a quick 15, 20-minute walk and I took a load of photos. It was a very, very hot day. It was in March... Uh, it was unusually warm that day, I think, for Sydney, maybe. I think it was like 20 out of 29. Now, these images do have a, uh, a different kind of look to them. They have a pinkish kind of color cast to them, which happens sometimes when the film, uh, you know, ejects in warm environment. Um, I really love these images. Um, I, I love the look that the film and the camera gives you. You know, you've got to look past the imperfections of the film because you can't do much about that. But um, I, I think they're really lovely images. So there's one there of the Opera House, the first one. The next one is of a ferry going past the Sydney Harbour Bridge and you're getting some more opacification failure streaks there. The next one looks pretty good. It's actually of Circular Quay where all the, the ferries come in and you can actually see on the right-hand side a big cruise ship. Uh, the next one down was taken, I think I took this from the railway station at Circular Quay, which is a bit higher. Uh, it's like maybe one story above the ground. And there's a, an image there of a, a ferry and with the um, the old coat hanger, the, uh, the Sydney Harbour Bridge in the background, a, a classic kind of scene there. This next one is probably one of my favourites. It's of the Sydney Opera House, two of the sails of the Sydney Opera House. And I think it, it looks like a really cool image, the two sails there. Again, you can see a little bit of uh, pacification failure there with a little bit of a, a blue streak. And also down to the bottom of the image, you can see some uh, an issue there with the image, a little kind of crackle on the bottom of the image. Um, so the film emulsion is not perfect. The next one is the Sydney Opera House again. I quite like this one, a different uh, take on the sails. And you can see the bright sort of sun, the bright light coming from the sun above. And the second last one is one of the opera, uh, the opera house, one of the Harbour Bridge with some nice palm trees. And the last one is just a juxtaposition between a forced comparison between the tiny little ferry. The ferries are pretty big, actually, um, but it just shows you how big that cruise ship is behind it. Uh, now, it, it's a little bit, it's not quite straight, that image. I apologize. I think I'm used to my digital camera where I have a, uh, a level, a spirit level, you know, built in kind of thing. Uh, so sometimes when I take film shots, they're not quite straight. It looks like the poor little ferry is going uphill. So, yeah, as I've spoken about, 
uh, with regards to these images, I really love the images that the Polaroid SX70 uh, and also Polaroid 600 cameras produce. I love the images so much. Uh, even though the film is nowhere near as good as it used to be, I still love them. And as I was taking these images, I put them on my jacket and I looked at them a bit later uh, because these days you can't, you know, take a print out of the picture. You've kind of got to hide it in your jacket or your pocket. Um, you've got to shield it from the light to get the best results out of the Polaroid Originals film. And as I took them out later and I looked through them, I thought, wow, you know what? I love these images so much. I love the the instantaneity of them. You take the photo and it's there. The print's there. You know, 15 minutes later, you've got the print. Um, I just love it. And I actually thought to myself, you know, why am I why am I shooting 35mm film? I, maybe I should just give all, all the roll film cameras up and shoot instant. That's how, how much I love instant photography. But never fear. I definitely haven't given up 35mm photography. Um, but I really, really do love instant. So is it worth shooting with an SX70 today? I think so. I love this camera. It's a lot of fun. It's such a classic, beautiful design. Could the film be improved? Of course. But, you know, I think Polaroid Originals are doing the best they can do. A lot of the know-how, a lot of the chemical processes uh, were lost when Polaroid went bankrupt in 2008. So it's fantastic that we can still get film to shoot on these cameras even though it's far from perfect. You know, I think if uh, the Time Zero or the SX-70 film from back in the day, if that was a 9 or 10 out of 10 in terms of quality, you'd probably say that the film we get these days is a 3 to a 4, um, depending on the pack. Looking at the photos I took for this episode, especially the ones uh, towards the top of the page on the show notes, I think you can definitely still get some magic from an SX-70 camera. The ones at the top of the page in particular, I shot at dawn. Um, so it was sunrise and I, there's some beautiful, beautiful light and I managed to get some really, what I think are really, really beautiful photos with the camera. In the harsher light later in the day, SX-70 loves the light, of course, being an ISO 160 sort of film. Um, but, you know, towards the middle of the day, the uh, the film did get a bit of a pinkish cast to it. I still really love the images of Sydney, but I think if you really want to get the best out of an SX-70, you've got to get that beautiful, beautiful light, which, of course, is probably what you should be doing with, with any camera you have. So how do the SX-70 compare against my completely made-up and arbitrary ratings? It did pretty well. I'm going to give it 18 out of 25 for features. Now, you might be thinking that's a little bit on the generous side. After all, it's a manual focus camera, completely automatic exposure control, but it has got that beautiful viewfinder. You can use accessories with it, like a close-up accessory, a tripod mount, uh, a shutter release. Uh, it does have a lot of technology in this beautiful leather and chrome clad body. So I'm giving it 18 out of 25 for features. For performance and handling, I'm going to give it uh, 22 out of 25. It's a lovely camera to use, very simple, very easy. Open the camera up, look through the viewfinder, put the subject in focus and press the button. And, uh, you know, I think Edward Land did a fantastic job at trying to remove those barriers between the photographer and the subject. Image quality, look, I love the images that come out of these cameras. Could the film be improved? Yes, please. I hope Polaroid Originals does improve their emulsions over the coming years. Uh, but I still love the images that come out of the camera, even though they are imperfectly kind of perfect. I'm going to give it 21 out of 25. And for fun, I'm going to give it 24 out of 25. It's such a classic, beautiful camera, and you always get a lot of people looking at it in the street when you're out and about shitting with one. That gives the SX-70 a whopping 85 out of 100. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. So although you could say that, yes, Edward Land did achieve his goal of achieving one-step photography with the SX-70 and its successes, there is one irony about the camera, though. The camera was actually favoured mostly by professionals and artists. Everyday people were more likely to afford one of the cheaper rigid body cameras, which didn't give quite as good results. 
At its launch, the camera cost $180, which is around $1,078 in today's money. A pack of 10 pictures costs $6.90, which is about $41 in today's money. Now, of course, there are 10 uh, images in the pack, so that's around $4 a pack in today's money. So, you know, shooting Polaroids uh, was probably really never as cheap as everyone seems to remember it was, um, certainly probably throughout the 80s and 90s. You know, you could probably get special deals on the film, but certainly at its release, it was not a particularly cheap thing to do. Now, in terms of the artists, yes, this camera was loved by artists. So some of the people who used it included David Hockney, Andy Warhol, Ansel Adams, and the German director and photographer Wim Wenders. Now, he actually um, describes what it was like to use this camera. Now, Wim Wenders took over 12,000 Polaroid images in the 1970s, and he describes what it was like. For years, everybody would stand behind you and look at the little print, not only in amazement, but also with longing. Give me that thing. Kids especially went crazy. Today, we take it for granted that we can see everything immediately on our devices. But then, it was nothing less than a cultural revolution. We all felt we were looking at the future, and we were. So, is the SX-70 the most revolutionary, iconic camera in the history of photography? I certainly think it is a strong contender, and I'm going to leave you today with a couple of quotes. The first one was from Arthur Fisher from the January 1973 issue of Popular Science. He called it perhaps the most finishedly clever invention in the history of photography. And Sean Callahan, a founding editor of American Photographer magazine, said the camera was the most sophisticated and innovative consumer product of its time. So I have lots more episodes of Matt Loves Cameras coming up. I've just been finishing off some rolls of film this month. So I've got a few more uh, film reviews coming up, some more camera reviews and a couple of other episodes I have up my sleeve. So don't forget to subscribe. Uh, I'd love you to leave a review. That would be fantastic. And don't forget to tell your other photography and film loving friends about Matt Loves Cameras. That's all till next time. Cheerio. Bye bye.